So we have been uh, going through this series, Who Do You Say I Am? Uh, The question that Jesus asked of his disciples, the question that he was asking of everyone he encountered, and something that has become uh, really clear, I think, through this study is that people struggled with who Jesus was uh, before he was crucified and resurrected. And after he was crucified and resurrected, they still struggled with who he was. And sometimes your brain simply can't wrap itself around what you are seeing or experiencing. And I don't know if you've had many experiences like this. I certainly have had several. Um, The church that I worked in previously in Antioch had a basement below the auditorium, and there was a preschool in the basement. And uh, I got to work one day. We lived right next door, and uh, walked in, and, and and as I went in, got into my office and everything, the, the preschool director came running upstairs, and she said, there's water pouring into the preschool through the ceiling. So the only real possibility of where that is coming from is the baptistry. So I ran into the auditorium, and sure enough, the baptistry is flooding, overflowing, like in every direction. Um, so my first thought, which is, I'm sure, what your first thought would be when you encounter an overflowing baptistry is, I need to find towels. (laughs) And I thought to myself, there's towels in the baptistry room. It's like on the way. So I run over there, I grab a towel, and water is pouring down the stairs And I pick up a towel to start mopping up the water, and then all of a sudden, it strikes me. This may be the wrong move (laughs) at this point of time. And it probably took, I'm not joking, it probably took between like two to three minutes for my brain to process what I was seeing and what I was experiencing, and then I finally realized I needed to turn the water off. So... I jumped into the baptistry in my clothes, turned the water off, opened the drain, then got towels and started mopping things up. Our brains are funny things. Um, Sometimes it can take a few minutes to process the obvious. That was not an isolated occasion, my friends. Again, in Antioch, uh, I had a motorcycle when we first moved there, and the motorcycle was in the garage parked right next to the refrigerator. And when I got up one morning, I went out to the fridge to get milk from the outside refrigerator, and I walked into the garage. My motorcycle boots were there next to the steps, which was really weird because that's not where I kept them. And I saw them there, and I looked down, and I thought, huh, that's odd. And then I walked across the garage to the fridge, got the milk, and walked back into the house. I then proceeded to ask Nisha if she had moved my motorcycle boots. She said no, that she had not touched them, not done anything with them. And then I stopped and thought for a second, because you see there was a problem. The motorcycle was gone. Someone had broken into our garage in the middle of the night, stolen the motorcycle, and a helmet, they were being safe, and closed the garage door and left. 
And I walked into the garage right through where the motorcycle should have been, got my milk, walked back inside the house, and it still took me a few moments to realize that the stinking thing was gone. There are times when we see things that aren't actually there. There are times when we don't see things that are there. And what's the point? The point is that seeing or not seeing is not always believing. Sometimes there is a lot more work that goes into processing what we are experiencing than we may even realize. Or maybe I'm just nuts. The disciples of Jesus found themselves in what I can only imagine was this sort of constant struggle to process. You know, as they, as they lived life with Jesus and as they heard him say the things that he said and they, they saw him perform the miracles that he performed, they struggled to wrap their minds around who he was and they thought they knew who he was. And they had this whole image of him built up in their minds and then he died. And death was the end of things. And, and then his body was gone and angels had told the women who discovered the empty tomb that Jesus had risen. But even so, how could this be? How could the impossible become possible? Could Jesus really be alive again? And for the disciples to wrap their minds around the resurrection, they had to have encounters with Jesus, one of which we looked at last week. And the disciples couldn't really understand who Jesus was until they encountered him as the risen Lord. And so Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood the whole picture. He didn't simply want them to know that he was alive because they needed to know more than that how his death and his resurrection fit into the plan that God had for the world. So he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus, and he opened the scriptures up to them, and he told them about God's plan. And, and he made other appearances, uh, other appearances, and each one was deliberate, uh, revealing to his followers that he was alive and why all of this had to happen. But something that we may not appreciate very much is that the relationship that the disciples had with Jesus had to change fundamentally from what it was before he died and was resurrected. Before those events, the disciples were with Jesus everywhere they went. They, they ate with him. They walked with him. Uh, they slept in the same places. They, they truly lived life together, and Jesus was there in person, to guide them through all of these things. But, but things changed when Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus went to a place that he even told them, you can't go there with me yet. They, they didn't know where he was. He would come and go in somewhat mysterious fashion, not being in the room and then showing up in the room. And there were different stories about what had happened, and as we will see, they did not always trust what they were hearing or even what they were seeing. 
So what is the shift that their relationship had to make once Jesus became the risen Lord? Their relationship had to change in this way. It had to change from one of belief to one of faith. Now, I know those things are very close to the same thing. Belief and faith. But, but there are some there are some subtle differences. And I know that when we talk about faith, we always quote, or I always quote, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And the reason why we do that is because it gives us a definition that is useful. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So understand what this need for faith means within the context of the world the disciples found themselves living in. They had to move from a Jesus that they thought they understood, this sort of concrete living person that they could reach out and touch at any time, a Jesus who was going to take them, they thought, to certain places to do certain things. They had to, they had to move from that Jesus to a Jesus who all of a sudden was way bigger than all of that. Uh, This is the Jesus, the risen Lord, who has conquered death, and he had grown in epic proportions. And in response, their understanding of God and Jesus and themselves and the world all had to change. So for the first time, they not only had to believe in him, they had to have faith in what they didn't know or couldn't see. This faith required a a certain kind of belief from them. Belief not in what they wanted him to be, but belief in what he actually was. And they had to give up some things in order to catch on to that. We're going to look at and see this reflected in two different encounters this morning. The first one comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let's pause here for a second. So keep in mind, by this point in the story, of the resurrection of Jesus. Angels have confirmed it to the women that went to the tomb. Um, He had appeared to several others, but there was a problem that Thomas had. What was the problem? He wasn't there. So he wasn't there, which means that when he hears all of these people say that Jesus had been resurrected, He doesn't believe them. Why? Because it's impossible. Because this can't be. Even there standing with the rest of the disciples, this cannot be. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And said, peace be with you. I I love this about resurrected Jesus. 
he like shows up out of nowhere and then says, peace be with you. Like, <laughs> it's spooky. It's spooky. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas was having a problem that I think most of us would have. He was being asked to not just believe, but to have faith. To believe in something that he could not see, he could not touch, he could not understand. And this was different from Tom, for Thomas, right? Because he'd been around Jesus all the time. And Thomas is having a hard time making this step to faith, to what he, he cannot see. And so he just flat out demands proof. But not just any proof. He doesn't want a Jesus-like figure to appear in front of him. He doesn't want to see someone who looks like Jesus from afar. Instead, what does he want? He wants to see the marks on Jesus' hands and feet. He wants to put his fingers into the wounds. So it's not even enough for him to see that they exist. He wants to touch them, which is just weird, people. Because he needs this kind of evidence to believe that Jesus is alive. Because Jesus shouldn't be alive. He was dead. And people don't come back from the dead. I wonder if when Thomas made this declaration, if he believed he was going to get the opportunity. But this is the challenge when it comes to faith. And I want to be careful about how I say this because I don't want you to misunderstand me. But faith by its very nature pushes you past the concrete. It asks for you to believe past what you can see or touch or taste or feel. That is what makes faith faith. So Jesus appeared to Thomas and he offered him exactly what he asked for. Here are the wounds Put your hand in my side. And then his words to Thomas are powerful. Stop doubting and believe. It's, I prefer to read these words, this entire encounter between Jesus and Thomas, without judgment in the voice of Jesus. And, and there's a reason why. Number one, Jesus knew how impossible all of this was. He didn't have to show up and give Thomas this opportunity, but he did. That's because Jesus loved Thomas, who had followed him for all these years, and he wanted Thomas to believe. In fact, he even needed Thomas to touch the wounds, so that later, when Thomas tells people about Jesus, and he says, Jesus is alive, and they say, no, he's not, what can Thomas say? Oh, he's alive. Well, how do you know it was him? I touched him. I, I saw the wounds. I put my hand in his side. And, and on 
touching these things, Thomas exclaimed, my Lord and my God. And in that moment, his eyes were open to the reality of who Jesus was as the risen Lord. And his experience led him to this belief. Because he was able to touch Jesus, he believed in Jesus. But Jesus let him know, I'm glad you believe, but you cheated. You have seen and believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and believe. You see, Jesus knew that he was going to ascend into heaven, that very soon he was going to be gone, and that not everyone was going to have this chance to experience him in this way. So people are going to have to believe that he died and rose from the dead without seeing him. They are going to have to have faith. And these people that Jesus is appearing to and is giving this opportunity to experience him, these are the people that are going to go out and tell others that it's true, that Jesus is alive. But this faith is hard to come by, even for his disciples as they were going through these encounters with Jesus. From Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. There it is again. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not believe and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, that is the lamest excuse to not believe something ever. He asked them, "Do you have anything here to eat?" They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, "This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms." Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, "This is what is written: The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things." I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. There are so many interesting things about this particular encounter. Um, Jesus again shows up out of nowhere. Um, Peace be with you. They freak out because they think they're seeing a ghost. Again, it's the only explanation they can come up with for what they're experiencing. And again, Jesus was very patient with them. I am not a ghost, he says. Touch me and see that it is me. He wanted them to believe and know that it was him, but he knew all of the hurdles that they had to overcome in order for them to know that it was him. And I I just, again, like verse 41 kills me. And while they still not believe it because of joy and amazement, like they were so happy to see him there that they didn't believe What that's really describing in sort of a confusing way is something that makes sense. This is so good, I can't believe it's true. 
or I, I want to believe this is true, but it just seems impossible. Jesus was very obliging to them, though. And, and in fact, and he knew that they needed a little bit more. So what did he do? He ate something on purpose. To do what? To show them that he is alive. That he really did raise from the dead. And he then did what he did to those that were traveling on the road to Emmaus. He took them through the scriptures and opened their minds so they could understand all that God was doing. Because Jesus, again, did not just want them to know that he was alive. He wanted them to understand who he was within the grand story of God and his people. He wanted them to understand that while they had been waiting for God to restore Israel, that God was restoring not only Israel, but the world. And that this had been God's plan all along. So he took them back through the scriptures to see how all of these things had been pointing to what was happening and what was going to happen. And then, after he does all of these things, he tells them that they are going to need help. They're going to need help to do what he needs them to do next. They were to wait for power to come. Now, next week, we're going to talk about, as we close up this series, how when you come to understand who the risen Lord is, you are then sent out. But there's something that we need to appreciate about this. This moment in particular that Jesus had with his followers. These people had heard what was going to happen. They had been with him and heard him say it multiple times. They had witnessed this. They had seen him multiple times. They had touched him. And yet they still couldn't wrap their minds around who he was. Right? How on earth... Were they going to go out and convince others that Jesus was alive? If this is what it took for them to get to the point where they could believe and understand. You know, the, these stories are important to us for, for a lot of reasons. For example, I have heard people say, who don't believe in Jesus, if, if Jesus wants people to believe in him, why doesn't he just show up? Why doesn't he just make it obvious? And I think, if anything, these stories teach us that Jesus could show up, that Jesus could be as obvious as possible, and people would still choose not to believe. Because believing in the risen Lord requires faith, and faith is not easy. Even those who got to touch and see Jesus had a hard time with it. But Jesus needed his followers to be able to go out into the world and to really understand who he was and what was going on. He needed them to understand God's plan, that God was wanting to redeem the world, that God had been moving toward this moment of redemption throughout human history. And he needed them to be confident enough in 
Jesus being alive, that they could help nurture and create faith in other people who didn't have the same chance they did. And that's why Jesus says, you have seen and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. He knows how much of a challenge it is for his disciples, and he knows how much of a challenge it is going to be for those who then hear the stories that the disciples tell about this risen Lord. And we have to understand that when the disciples go out into the world, they are going out into a place that saw Jesus die. And the first time that that Peter stands up to preach the gospel message in the book of Acts, he's talking to the people who killed him. They are going to have to have enough faith, enough understanding, enough confidence, and the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and make a difference in the world. Jesus was going to send back to them all that they needed to bring about the kingdom and the salvation of God. So what is our takeaway from these two stories? a good question. I, I, I think that what these stories tell us is that faith is hard. That believing is not easy. But those of us who know who Jesus is who know the love of God that we have found in Jesus. We are the ones, as we're going to talk about next week, who get to take the risen Lord out to the world. It's, it's like the scripture we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. We have been co- given comfort from God. And what then is our job? It is to take that comfort to the world. But we can't can't overlook the fact that, that the risen Lord is an impossibility. That that it is so hard to wrap our minds around it. It is so hard to understand unless you accept that Jesus is the Son of God. Unless you accept that that God does want to redeem the world. That we have a problem with sin in our lives. That we need a Savior and a Redeemer. And that the only way to overcome sin and death was for God to send His Son to this place. To die and to raise again so that sin and death might be defeated forever. It reminds me of how wonderful and dramatic and amazing the story is. And it is that impossibility, it is that amazing part of it, it is all of that that changes people's lives. It it is that 
That story that makes the difference, it is the fact that it was impossible, that it was only something that God could do and that God did it for us that makes everything change. Amen? We have to have that same confidence in this story. We have to have the same understanding in in what it is that God is doing and how God is moving and working in this world. Because we are the ones to take this Jesus, this risen Lord, out to those who don't know him. And it's a challenge. It really is. But God wants us to succeed. And he gives us what we need through the Holy Spirit and through his power to be representatives of God in this world. But we can't be the kind of representative we need to be if we still can't answer the question of who we say he is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you have called us to be part of an amazing story that you are redeeming the world, that you are making all things new, that you sent your son to this place to die for us, and that through his death and his resurrection, we have new life. God, we want to know Jesus as the risen Lord. We want to have confidence and faith, belief in him, so that we can take this Jesus to the world. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for the love that you've shown us. In Jesus' name, amen.